First uh, Timothy chapter four, verses one through 16. As we mentioned before, while you're making your way there, if you didn't hear me announce it, um, uh, Carol already mentioned, we're going to have a potluck afterwards. I'll pray for the food afterwards, just after the service, I'll pray for it. So you can just go in and and eat right away. So that's just going to be wonderful. And then after that, we'll, we'll kind of rally you all back into, into here where uh, a majority of the elders will be here. Marcus Wilcox is homesick today. So we got to pray for him too. Um, and so we're just going to, we'll go through our, our business meeting uh, then. Okay. First Timothy chapter four verses one through 16. I'm just going to read it. And then we'll go through. It says, now the spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars, whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth for everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For, for uh, it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. And if you put, uh, put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, being trained in the words of faith and a good doctrine that you have followed. Verse seven, have nothing to do with irreverent, uh, silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. For while the body tra- bodily training is of some value, <clears throat> godliness of his value is a value in every way, as it holds promises for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full of acceptance for this end. We toil and strive because we have our hopes set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe command and teach these things and let no one despise you for your youth, but set to believe, set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. And until I come devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, the exhortation to teaching and do not neglect the gift you, uh, you have, which has been given to you by prophecy when the council of the elders laid their hands on you. Verse 15, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Father, as we come before your word, uh, we ask that you just... Um, open our hearts and our minds for those things that you would teach us this morning. Uh, we, we know, Lord, as we look at this, you're, you're going to be uh, convicting and encouraging us, Lord, and, and, and leading us. And so, Lord, let our hearts be soft before you. Let us just be open as your kids, Lord, just to hear the voice of our Father and obey. And so we just, we ask that you'd be blessed this morning, that we would be a blessing to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. So in the passage we just read, Paul is, is writing to a young pastor named Timothy, who he put in charge of a church at Ephesus while he went on to do, take care of other problems within the church, basically. And in chapter four here, Paul is really laying out for Timothy what he is to be focused on as he leads the church. And so if you notice, Paul gives in, uh, Timothy a lot of direct instruction direct instruction. So like in verses one through five, he warns Timothy, beware of the apostasy that's coming. There's going to be people who are going to be falling away and going after these doctrines of demons and spirits by people who are false teachers. In verse six, we see Paul instructing Timothy that if you put these things before the brothers, you're going to be a good servant of Jesus Christ. In verse seven, Paul tells Timothy, have nothing to do with silly, silly myths. 
In verse 11, Timothy's told to command and teach certain things. In verse 12, he's commanded to be an example. Verse 13, to be devoted to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Verse 14, do not neglect the gift that you have been given. Uh, verse 15, he's told to practice these things. In verse 16, he's told to keep a close watch and so forth and so on. And so this is just direct apostolic saying, Timothy, you do these things. This is what it means to, to, to lead this church at this time. Now, while this is instruction for pastors, this is applicable for all of us. Does that make sense? Like when he's telling people, Hey, watch out for the doctrines of demons. Do you think you guys need to like, just go, oh, that's for them. I'll just go off. No, it's like, no, I should probably watch out for the doctrines of demons and being pulled off into one way or the other. When it says to, you know, watch your life and your own teaching. Do you think that's something that we should do as parents, maybe, or grandparents and all these types of things and how we model stuff? Absolutely. And so while this is, is given to an, uh, uh, from an apostle to a, a pastor, which obviously I'm going to take seriously, um, as we go through this, it's also applicable for us. So allow the Holy spirit to speak to uh, you this morning in the ways that God would uh, encourage, encourage you. And so if we could, we just want to go to verse one. Let's begin with verse one for a more in depth look. And so the very first thing that Paul says in, in, in to Timothy in chapter four, verse one, it says, now the spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Now what Paul is saying to Timothy is that there would be coming a time shortly after this, the end times doesn't necessarily mean uh, at the end of days. It means from the time, from that time on forward until the end of days, that there's going to be an apostasy that happens. Uh, people in the church are going to abandon the truth. Now, whether or not they're believers or not, I, I, that's not the, that's not the focus of, of this. Um, but they're going to abandon the word of God. That's what they're going to do. They're going to sit there and read their Bibles and go, eh, I don't want to listen to that. It's not with the flow of the culture. It isn't what I want to hear in my own heart, in my own life. I really like what X, Y, Z is saying. And they get pulled off from what the simple teaching of the word of God is into all this weird stuff. And Paul describes some of that. And so the first thing that Paul wants Timothy to know is be aware that there's a spiritual battle going on around you. There are demonic forces in this church, I want to say in this church, working among the people of the church to try to get you off the word of God and onto a weird path. There's an active uh, attack by the enemy on the people of God. That's what's going on. And so we have this awareness that, that Paul is wanting to let a pastor know, be aware that this spiritual thing is going on in the church. And obviously that, that means that he needs to be watching out for those doctrines, watching out for those people. And then you find at the end, he's saying, Hey, watch out for your own life. Make sure you're not the one leading people off the, off the path. And so um, that's kind of what he's starting out here. And so there's a principle of a spiritual battle going on, demonic forces, deceiving people and influencing people to abandon the truth of the word and join themselves to their teaching. If you look at, um, you know, the parable of the sower, you see this uh, application. The word of God is sown. And what happens is you have the birds of the air that come and pluck it off the path. That's one of the examples. And we find out that the Jesus interprets this. He says, listen, the enemy comes in and steals the word of God out of people's hearts. 
And so that's something that happens as I'm casting the word of God here. Hopefully today, some of you are going to be listening and the Holy Spirit's going to apply whatever it is that he would have in your heart. But some of you are going to sit there and go, yeah, whatever. And it just lands and then all of a sudden gets taken away when God would have that be developed and go down deep and do something in your life for his glory. And so there's a real spiritual battle going on. And um, these, and, and the way that people are getting pulled off, uh, well, first of all, he says, it's influencing to abandon, abandon the truth. So there's spiritual influences, but then there's also, uh, so demonic influences, but the demonic, the demons actually have teachings. Isn't that weird? That there's demonic doctrine, verse two. And he does this through the people following this. They're getting deceived through agents, through verse two, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Isn't that, isn't that scary? And so these, this demonic deception that people are going after, this is happening through false teachers. That's what's happening. And Paul describes them as liars whose consciences are seared. And I think what, what in the day people would have had a visual picture of people who have been convicted of certain uh, crimes, they would have been seared on their forehead. So everybody could have seen that that's, that's who they were. But he's saying, listen, it's, it's their, their minds are seared. They're, they're, they're liars and that's who they are. They've been given over to this and they're not going to change. And that's what's going on. That's, that's what their conscience is. The conscience, just to let you know, is God's mechanism for us determining to be able to discern good and evil, right and wrong. Now that mechanism can be broken <laughs> where good can be evil and evil can be good. We know that we've seen that in our society lately where evil is being called good and good is called evil. And so there's people out there with consciences that are set towards evil. And when you do good, they're going, you're doing wrong. And that's problem that we're having in our society today. These things have gotten deadly wrong. Well, there's teachers out there who have been, who are liars and whose minds have been seared with this. And this is their approach. And they're under the influence of demonic forces. And what they're teaching is not teaching you the word of God. They're leading you to what tickles your ears. And he'll get into that in the next chapter, what you want to hear. And also what, what helps their pocketbook. And all that kind of stuff. And so why not appeal to you in what you want and tell you, yeah, God's absolutely going to miraculously heal you every time, no matter what you just need to have enough faith. And by the way, in order to show that faith, why don't you, again, you guys fund my Learjet, you know, why isn't that happening? You know, I'm just joking. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's what they're going after. Right. And so there's this branding in their minds. And so these false teachers under the influence and power of demons, they're leading people to follow after them. And in reality, they're actually following demonic spirits. And Paul says in verse three, he gives some examples about what they're actually teaching in his day. And, I, and you can see this pulled over in today into some serious. Listen, he says, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the what? The truth. And so what's happening is people are being deceived on what the truth is. And so because they don't know the truth, aren't being taught the truth, they follow after these teachings that you can't get married. You can't get married because of you need to be, you need to deny that part in order to be more spiritual or you can't eat certain foods. And if you don't, you're not spiritual. You're not accepted before God. 
Now, regarding marriage, Paul did teach. He said, listen, if you can be single, if God's given you the gift to be single, be single, be happy where you are. Why? Because if you're married, you're going to be busy about your spouse. And all the married people said, yes, amen. Amen. And it's awesome to be busy about your spouse. <laughs> Who's watching at home? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. It's, 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 that's good. It's a good thing in life, right? But for those single people, you are free. When I was young and I was single, I was traveling all over. I was able to go to different countries and go on mission trips and do all these things. But when I got married, my, my focus changed. My ministry changed. It, it was more at home and, and where we were. And that's a good part of life. But realize Paul taught, Hey, it's great to be single. Like I am. If you've got that gift, Paul says, roll with it. Like the Lord Jesus was, roll with it. But if not, like Peter, like the rest of the apostles, by the way, who were married, that's okay too. God has, God has created marriage. And what, what the enemy always tries to do is he tries to pervert what God has created and is good for us into something that is perverted and wrong. That's what he's always trying to do, whether it's marriage or sex or sexual identity or the foods you eat and all this kind of stuff. He's always trying to twist something. God created marriage. He created a man and a woman, and that's his definition of marriage. Any other uh, definition of that is a perversion of God's design, and it is not good. It is sin. Man and woman together for life, for their life. Until death do they part. That's God's design for marriage. That's good. And for someone to keep, come to you and say, you cannot get married. Now there's rules in that. You've got to be believers. If you're a believer, you need to marry another believer. There's other things there. There's, there's things within the Lord. But for someone to come to you and say, you are not allowed to get married because you need to be more spiritual, blah, blah, blah. That's, that's obviously a perversion of what the truth is. And it's the same thing about food. They forbid them on, on food. Paul did teach, uh, by the way, you can go read the teachings on marriage and those ones I was talking about in first Corinthians chapter seven, go ahead and read through there. And he kind of lays out all these different scenarios because the church had questions as they were coming to the Lord. What about marriage? I just married a non, I married a non-believer and I came to the Lord. What do I do now? He answers all those questions in first Corinthians seven. But again, demons always seek to pervert and twist what God has declared, whether it's teaching that you can't get married or perverting the definition of marriage or with food. You know, there were those in Paul's day who forbid people to eat certain foods. And so most likely these would have been Jews who came by and said, you can't eat X, Y, and Z. You can't eat that Gentile food in order to truly be spiritual. You need to cut ham for your diet. You can't eat bugs. You can't eat a spider. Now I'm not saying that's good for you. That's a different question. But as far as righteousness before God, the sheet came down. Everything's clean. It's on the table. Now here's the Paul thing is Paul talked to people also in Corinthians who are having questions with that. And he said, listen, there's people who come out of a world and a background where food sacrifice to idols is a reality. And they can't as young believers disassociate between that food and that false God that they worship. They think it was really sacrificed to a false God who Paul says, no, there isn't a false God. There's just demonic powers behind that. Paul says, it's not the hamburger. It's all the worship behind what is being sacrificed. And so he says, for conscience sake, for the love of that other person, if they are, are thinking that that food that you're eating is sacrificed to another 
another, you who are more spiritual, hold back and don't do that. Does that make sense? Don't push your, uh, you know, your, your, your right on them to, to eat hamburgers, you know, with their tripping out on this stuff. Right. So there's a degree of that going on. So that's a, that's an example there. And so um, now Paul, so he spoke about eating, you know, abstaining from food in certain circumstances, but it was always the context of love and preferring one another and all that kind of stuff. But that's not what was going on. Apparently, apparently the, the conversation that was going on is in order for you to be more spiritual, you cannot eat. You have to eat this way and these types of foods. And you know, as Americans, we get weird, you know, we're going to go out there and eat in just a little bit. And how many of you are going to, you know, go, you know, where in the world is, you know, is X, Y, and Z. Why haven't they provided this for me? You know, anybody else? <laughs> okay. Yes. We're, we're picky, right? First world problems, you know, my gluten-free diet or whatever it might be. And, and Lord bless you. Right. And, um, and I better not go down that road. I mean, that would just, there'd just be mutiny going on here. I was going to have a food fight. Potato salad. Oh, but what Paul is warning Timothy of is that, is that we should be aware of as well is that there were those demonically controlled false teachers that were drawing people away from salvation by grace through faith to a works salvation. And that's what that is. You've got to work yourself to, to heaven by not getting married, by eating X, Y, Z food. Does that make sense? Instead of Lord, you have control of my life. What do you want to do? And then say, is this pleasing to you? And you follow the spirit on those things. But so that was what was going on. And Paul wanted Timothy to be aware of that. And we need to be aware of that at all, that there's a spiritual battle going on in and among us today, drawing us away from the simple truth revealed in the word of God to some perversion of it. And that's what it is. And so Paul says to Timothy in verse six, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus being trained in the word of, uh, of the faith and of good and of good doctrine uh, that you have followed. And what Paul is saying is that uh, not only is Timothy to be aware of it, of this stuff, but he's also to put it in front of the church. You know, when things are off, when things are being taught that are weird and off, it's, it's important for me as a leader or for an elder to, to kind of bring that to light. And I think that often happens as we go through the word, but there are times when we need to go, this is wrong. And you'll hear me do that occasionally. You know, I try not to make things political because I, I don't feel like that, that helps anybody. We want to follow the Lord in things, but there are, there are things that come to the service teachings that there's sways and things that people get pulled down that just really aren't edifying. And we need to be aware of those things, but also in your lives with one another, there's things that we need to let one another bring them before one another and say, are, are you aware of this? Do you see this going on? And so with us, it is loving to lay these things before one another so that we can walk in discernment. Next in, in verse seven, Paul tells Timothy, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. In Timothy's day, there was a lot of strange mystical religion. There was like all this combination of Christianity and uh, Judaism and, 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 and kind of Greek philosophy and all this stuff kind of morphing into each other. And so there was just a lot of strange stuff going on. And Paul just said, stay away from that. You know, one of the things that's kind of been more of a resurgent surgence lately is that I think secular people who don't know the Lord 
And even Christians who aren't strongly rooted in the word, they have a desire to, to, to know truth. They're, lo- they're longing for truth in this day. They're longing for, um, they're longing for uh, truth in a world that's wishy-washy, you know, and, 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 and to do that. So what happens is you've got famous people now doing Bible studies that aren't believers whatsoever. And they'll start talking about the scriptures and all this type of stuff from an evolutionary psychologist slash perspective. And so Jesus isn't literally the son of God. He is a archetype for whatever it is. And they take the scriptures and they do all this weird stuff with it. And they go into all the uh, philosophers of the age and they pull out meaning from it. And everybody's just chewing on this stuff. It's weird. Stay away from it. Paul just says, just don't deal with that. Now, obviously I've listened to a little bit just to be up on it, but it's really, he just says, stay away from it. Rather do what? What does he say here? Rather train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. The idea here is don't devote yourself to something that's going to have little or no payoff. Don't do that. Train yourself in godliness, in, in sound doctrine, in right living before God. And so, and Paul draws the comparison of physical training with spiritual training. So we can all understand that verse eight, he says, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. And it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Now, Paul isn't knocking exercise here and diet and discipline in those matters. He says it is of some value. And what he means for some value is he says it's, it's a value for this life. It has limitations. It's going to wear out. The curve is going to go down. You're going to die, right? It's not going to pay off into the next life. That's, that's what's going to happen. He's not minimizing. He said, you can do it, but guess what? The returns on it aren't beneficial for this life and the next. And that's what he's comparing to. Godliness is a value in every way for this life and the life to come right? This isn't saying don't exercise and, and exercises is, is dumb and all that kind of stuff. I mean, just talk to, you know, cardiologist or talk to someone, you know? So godliness is a, but what, what needs to be emphasized is, is, is a carnal person puts all their emphasis on the temporal. That's how they view this life. This is the life. But a spiritual person sees the value not only in this life, but in the life to come in following the Lord. And so that's what he's saying. So, so train yourself in godliness, which is not only beneficial for now, but in the life to come. And so Paul points out, it's, it's, it isn't about physical fitness. He's saying, be devoted to spiritual fitness because the dividends pay off, pay off. And so stay away from silly or irreverent myths and train yourself in godliness. Amen. So in our teaching here, we stay away from silly, irreverent myths and we just kind of teach through the word, right? Just stay on point. I'm not going to improve on the apostle Paul. I'm not going to improve on the words of Jesus. I'm not going to improve on any of this. And anybody thinks they can No. just what do they say? And let's ask the Lord to help us obey and follow him. Amen. Let the spirit do what he does. And so that's a sweet thing in your life too, right? Verse nine, he says, after saying that, he goes, man, this saying is trustworthy and deserves a full acceptance. In other words, he just said, I like what I just said. It's so awesome. <laughs> He's all, I just, it's, that's, I'm translating into modern language. Man, what I just said is trustworthy and deserves a full acceptance. Like you've got to just take what I said to heart. Like if you don't, you're, you're silly. 
So basically, verse 9, it's an exclamation point on verse 8. Godliness is not only the promise for this life, but for eternity. That's so true, Paul says in verse 9. And verse 10 says, why? For it is to this end that we what? Yeah, we toil and strive. How many of you have have the, the translation suffer reproach? So toiling, strife, suffering, right? Because we have our hope set on what? On who? The living God, who is the savior of all people, especially for those believe. Now, some of you know what it's like to train physically. I do not. To the point of exhaustion. I'm watching you. I'm looking at one right there. Awesome. (laughs) When I grow up, I want to be like you. (laughs) Instead, I grow out. Um, But Paul takes the same idea and puts it into that training of godliness there in verse 10. So Paul says, we toil and we strive towards godliness. I train towards godliness. Some of your translations again say, I suffer reproach. I willingly go into the flame for this. Paul says, we work, we strive, we suffer. Why? Because we have our hopes set on the living God, that he is our prize. He is our aim to please him, to be like him, to follow him all the days of our life. And so whatever he says, I want my life to conform to him. And you will have toiling and suffering and training in your life. Why? Because the world is going in the opposite direction. And you'll experience suffering and rejection from this world as you go towards Christ, as he is, you allow Christ to do his thing in you. Amen. Amen. He says, we have our hope set on the living God, who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe faith works, brothers and sisters, faith works, faith without works is dead. You will know a tree by its fruit. Christians bear fruit of godliness and the spirit is working in us as we trust and obey. It's a beautiful thing. And Paul's eyes, he said, his hope was set on the living God. Again, that was Paul's motivation. His eyes were set on Christ. Are your eyes set on the living God this week? What do you toil and strive for in this life? And Paul says that the living God is the savior of all people, especially for those who believe. Now this has got a little confusion to it, but this is not saying that all people will be saved. Universalism is a, is, is a false doctrine. That's sin. That universalism is the idea that everybody will be saved. All leads, all roads lead to Rome. It's like, yeah, all roads lead to the judgment seat before God. Right. <laughs> and you're either going to be, at the mercy seat, or you're going to be at the great white throne, <laughs> one or the other. So in that way, but that's not all will be saved. That is a false teaching. There is a real clear teaching on hell in the scriptures an eternal separation from God. And anybody who tries to minimize it, that that is a doctrine of demons. No, Paul is saying that God is the savior of all people. That is the source of salvation. He is the savior of all people and that he himself is the means of salvation. But that salvation is extended to those who believe. You've got to believe to be saved. That's what he's saying, especially those who believe. And that is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And Paul says in verse 11, command and teach these things. This is what you're to do as a pastor. This is what you're to do as a parent. This is what you're to do as as a believer in Jesus Christ, I would say, uh, is to command and teach the gospel, right? 
And so as a pastor, Timothy was commanded and teach that the living God is the savior. He is the source of salvation. He sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And through him alone, through faith in him alone, you are saved from the judgment of God, from the wrath of God, and you are given eternal life. That's the gospel. And to followers after Jesus with to follow after Jesus with your entire being is going to reap the benefits not only now, but in the next life that's for all eternity. And so this is the summation of what we believe and teach and emphasize the gospel. And so it should be in our own walks with the Lord command and teach these things in our lives, in our homes and wherever we might go. Verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech in conduct in love, in faith, in purity. Now, Paul is talking to a pastor named Timothy, a young guy who is like a son in the faith to, in the faith to him. And he's obviously what? He's obviously young. He's probably 30 years old, somewhere around there is my guess. He's young. And he's calling him to no small task. He's calling him to engage in the spiritual fight. He's calling him to resist and steer clear of nonsense and to pursue and command and teach the gospel according to the word of God in the face of some serious opposition. Amen. And on top of that, that tall order, we find that Timothy is young. He's a young guy. And let me say that having been a a young minister myself, uh, having been in the ministry for a while now, there is a tendency by some to dismiss the authority uh, based upon someone's age and, you know, of what, what's being taught because of the age of the messenger. Um, but Paul says, don't let them despise you for your youth. This is not saying you respect me because of my age, no matter what. That's not it. That's not what Paul's saying. The problem is the tendency of young people is that they aren't respectable yet. They aren't trustworthy with a lot of things. That's just the tendency of youth. We see that in Proverbs, right? How do you grow up? And he, and he goes through the whole thing about ta- teaching his son. Listen, this is what the way that normal people go. They go down towards all this nonsense. You, if you want to be wise, don't go down that road. I'm not knocking being young. We're all young once, right? But what's, I think Mark said it the other day, Mark uh, yesterday at uh, Mark Swenson at, at the men's retreat said, you know, age is not necessarily you know, how long you've been walking with the Lord is not necessarily a sign of your maturity, something like that. You can walk with the Lord for a really long time and still be a spiritual little baby, right? And you can also walk with the Lord for a short time, like Timothy, and probably have some great maturity with you. So Paul says, don't let them despise you for your youth. That is, don't give them an opportunity to dismiss the truth because of your immaturity. Instead, at your young age, be an example, rise up, aspire, let the Holy Spirit do that work in you, the maturing of the spirit at a very young age, so that when you say something, your youth doesn't contradict the truth. Does that make sense? Long way of saying that. But in your speech, he says, in your conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. These aren't young areas that 
really young people typically have maturity in. You develop those over time, right? In general, in speech. How many of you have learned to tame your tongue a little bit more the longer you've been walking with the Lord? Yeah. Yeah. In your conduct, how you, how you act around other people and all that kind of stuff in love, in your love, being sacrificial in your works uh, around others. Love is a sacrifice. It's a choice for God. So love he gave. And so there's that idea of loving others, putting others above yourself, right? And in faith and impurity and these things, it's, it's, these are things that need to be matured in someone. Paul says, don't act your age, act your faith. Live out your faith before your church and your speech and your conduct and your love in faith and in your purity. And again, Mark said that well at our men's breakfast, that how long, it's not how long you've been walking with the Lord. It doesn't necessarily equate to how mature you are in him. But some of the younger believers here are quite deep in the Lord. If you've gotten to know them, if you've talked to them a little bit and you get into their lives and, and stuff, you start asking them questions, man. They know the gospel. They know doctrine, you know, and, and they, they're honest about their struggles and their life and these things. They, they pray for one another. They're witnesses. They share the gospel with people at the expense of their own reputation. I mean, there's, it's pretty, it's pretty awesome. And for Timothy, he was called to be an example of what was taught. You know, quite often it isn't what's taught. It's what's caught. How many of you've heard that? So not only is he supposed to teach it, he's supposed to be an example of it. And so too are we as believers. So too are you. That's a command for you too. To be an example for one another. In every circumstance you have, you can either be a godly example or a bad example. Amen. And, and by the way, if you find out you're with someone who's a bad example and they're a believer, let them know after you take the log out of your own eye. Lovingly come around them and, 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 and encourage them in the Lord so they can grow and you can grow together. This is what small groups are kind of about a little bit. We're in each other's lives. We're real with one another. We see each other's weaknesses and we pray for one another. And we lift each other up. Amen. We might be more like Christ. So Timothy was called to be an example as we are. And then Paul says in verse 13, until I come devote yourself, another command, Think of this for yourself until I come devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Now this matched up with, with Timothy's calling upon his life. Okay. So fill in the blank for your own calling. And by the way, reading the scripture is not a bad thing. Right. But these verses, this is, these are the verses where I go to when I feel rudderless as a pastor, you know, like, gosh, where, where do I go? What do I do? Oh, well, until I come now, I don't have an apostle Paul, but I've got a Lord Jesus. Until I come or you come see me, man, devote yourself to the public reading of scriptures, to exhortation and teaching. Devote yourself to these things. These three things, a public reading of scripture, like we, we did when we began and I was having issues with my glasses and my mind, by the way. Just reading the scriptures out loud before people. How many of you, when I was reading that, were just kind of maybe a verse or a phrase popped out and you're just like, wow, yeah. You're edified. I wasn't explaining everything. I was just reading the scriptures. It's like handling a sword or using a sword. The word of God is a beautiful thing. It needs to be read publicly together. 
when we gather together. So the reading of the word of God and into exhortation, that's encouragement and warning. Think of it like a coach. <clears throat> that's kind of like what a coach is. They, they tell you what's off and they tell you what you're doing well, and they encourage you in obedience to the Lord, right? And so how many of you, uh, you know, when, when you're together, perhaps in the word of God, you walk away encouraged and you also walk away challenged, right? And you've been encouraged by someone's got, somebody's got the gift of exhortation. I would say I kind of lean towards that end of things. Uh, the exhortation part where I'm, I'm challenging and cutting, but also trying to say, continue to move on. And that's just kind of how it is. So there's the excitation, those encouragements and warnings regarding uh, uh, that that's associated with the truth. And so that's, what's happening here. When you leave today, you're going to be encouraged and you're going to be warned. And some of you will be going to sleep. I understand the same with you in your sphere of influence. And lastly, thirdly, Timothy was to be devoted to teaching. This means explaining the word of God. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm explaining what these words mean. I'm breaking apart, putting it in ways that we can all understand. This is what Timothy was supposed to be devoted to. Why was he to be devoted to these things? Is it because of it's, it's, it's for his own branding? Timothy at Ephesus on the web church of Timothy. It's for the edification of the church. If you're not devoted to these things, then you're not devoted to me. This is what I've called you to Timothy. And it's for the people that you're serving. The people that I love be devoted. Do this for them. If you love me, you'll tend the sheep. If you love me, you'll feed my sheep. If you love me, you'll do this. And that's why Paul goes into verse 14 says, Timothy, do not neglect the gift you have. What gift do you have? What is God put in you to do for him. Who has he called you to be in the body of Christ? You know how you find out who you are in the body of Christ? Be in the body of Christ and they'll let you know. You'll find that people are edified with some, by something and they'll gravitate towards you in a ministry or they'll run away from you in a certain area. Now it might be you need to develop that. But don't neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So Timothy had been gifted by God and there was a calling upon his life to pastor and, and to do these things. Uh, and we're going to read again, Paul, I'm not going to go into too, too much depth because we got to go over this again when we get to second Timothy, because he's going to remind him again. You know, Timothy, man, fan the flame of your gift. If you read that, it's in second Timothy chapter one, six and seven, Paul says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame, the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So, and the elders for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. And so apparently, although Timothy was called and equipped by the spirit and was evident to the elders and to the church, Timothy struggled with being timid. He struggled with being fearful. Uh, he struggled with, with a lack of boldness. And so Paul keeps on going. You have to push into those gifts. You have to push in. I know you want You have a spirit of timidity. You have a, you want to pull back. You want to do all these things because you're watching everybody and you're young or whatever it might be. Lean into the call of God on your life. You too. Amen. Cause if you don't lean into what God has called you to be and to do, guess who gets ripped off? Everybody. 
because we're a body and you are precious and you've been gifted by him as the Lord of the church has seen fit. Amen. And you know, ah, crying again, <laughs> you know, we was talking about deacons. It's like someone reminded me, I forgot who it was. Maybe I think it was Josh. You know, it's, it's the parts that are less seen that get more honor, so to speak, you know, lean into the calling God's given you. Don't neglect your gift, which he's given you. Paul's encouraging him all the time. Now we don't know what that gift was for Timothy. I don't know what all of your gifts are. I have a good idea of a lot of you. And we'll get back to this in second Timothy one, but the gifting was imparted to him by the elders. And that included Paul, as we read in second Timothy one, when they laid hands on him. And so when the elders gathered together with Timothy, there were some kind of prophetic utterance about Timothy regarding his calling and gifting. And so it's within the context of the leader of the church leadership of the church, as they were pulling him into ministry, that these gifts were identified. And I think ratified among the body. Now, I would say that there are those who say that the, the prophetic utterances and all that kind of stuff doesn't work anymore. It doesn't happen anymore. I, I don't buy to that. I, I buy it. It's not the normal way. I don't see the Lord operating here, but I'm, I'm open to it. As long as it's lined up with the word of God, I don't want to despise prophecy. I mean, God says some pretty profound things through the body of Christ that I think people, God works supernaturally naturally through you guys all the time. And we don't necessarily need to, you know, put a big spotlight on you, you know, or me, but man, he uses you <laughs> all the time. But for Timothy here, it was evident. They went through a mission trip. He was identified. God had a calling on his heart. The leadership was going, yeah, the church was going, yeah. And they all laid hands on this guy and put him into the ministry and said, Timothy, man, you are gifted by God. We all see it. You know, you're, you're gifted to teach and to preach and to do these things. And we're, we're recognizing that we're laying hands on you and we want you to go bless the church in doing this. And so the whole church knew that they were someone that was set apart by God to minister to the church. That's what happened to Timothy here. And so he was gifted. And just because you haven't been brought up on stage and had your lay's hand, hands laid on you from the church doesn't mean God hasn't anointed you with gift. Every believer, first Corinthians 13 through, uh, sorry, 12 through 14, you've been gifted. You've been gifted by God for the edification of the body. Don't neglect that gift. And so the thing is, Timothy was called, he was gifted, but he was struggling to lean in into the Lord and that calling and gifting. Is any, can anybody else relate? Any of you feel timid? Nope, you guys are all good. Okay, never mind, I'll skip. But the point is, don't neglect the gift God has given you. Don't, and by the way, don't try to operate in someone else's gift. Don't try to be someone that God hasn't made you to be or called you to be or to ignore what God has called you to be faithful to who God has called you to be and what he has called you to do in Christ. Amen. That's who I, who I need. I don't need you to be someone else. You know, in the body, I want you to be you. Let God work through you. And by the way, that gifting calling will be verified among the church and, and the leaders of the church. And so don't neglect it. Lean into it. Verse 15, we're almost there. Practice these things. 
Immerse yourself in them, Timothy, so that all may see your progress. Don't neglect your gift. What does he tell you to do? Practice it. You, I mean, Carol can testify. Erica can testify. They hear me talking to myself in my office. I'm, I'm reading out what I'm saying. I know this is just how I work. Because you know, I get things mixed up and I say things backwards. I have to work at that. I have to work at communication. I've shared with you, uh, shared with you. See what I'm saying? (laughs) I shared with you before that public speaking was my number one fear. Like when I was a kid and yet God called me to that, obviously, because the desire to follow after that, the truth of the word outweighed my own consideration for those things. And so you have to lean into it. And by the way, that doesn't just get developed in one day. That takes years of just obeying and following the Lord. Some of you are naturally God given born evangelists and Lord bless you. But I mean, if we heard the first time you shared the gospel, you know, we might go, there might've been 500 people got saved, but you would walk away and go, Oh, what a mess. Obviously it's the Lord who's working, but guess what? God wants you to lean into him and him to teach you about listening to him and following him and who he's called you to be. Teach you how to share the Lord with different people or what to preach or what not to preach or how to say something or how to serve in a certain manner or the skills on bringing people alongside. But if you never step out of the boat and fall down and let the Lord catch you, you're never going to experience all that God has called you to be. So get out of the boat and start failing together. And let the Lord grab us and lift us up. Amen. Don't neglect, but practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. Be in them. Why? So that all may see your progress. And this isn't a hypocritical statement. It's when we grow, the body gets encouraged, isn't it? I I get encouraged because guess what? When I actually see the word of God in someone working out, I get encouraged. Anybody else? When you see the Christ likeness developed in someone service developed in someone stepping, some people stepping out in faith, we all get encouraged. Don't we? But I get discouraged when we see stagnation across the board and no one stepping out and everybody timid and just kind of going all that's someone else's job. I'll just go in my corner. No, Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. And then lastly, verse 16, keep close watch on yourself and the teaching. Watch your own life, watch your practice and watch what you're saying. Watch what you're teaching, Timothy, and persist in this. Keep going. Keep watching yourself, keep watching your doctrine, refining those things, growing on what you're teaching and saying to people. I'm talking about from the perspective of Timothy and a pastoral type thing. You plug it into your own life and your own, and your own gifting. Keep watching. And by the way, we all need to be watching what we believe and what we're saying and what we're, what we're doing. We need to keep an eye on this. Keep a close watch on yourself. The enemy's at work on the teaching and what you believe, the doctrine. It says, persist in these things. Keep in it. Why? For by doing so, Timothy, you will save both yourself and your hearers. It all goes back to verse one. Now the spirit says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. Timothy, 
make sure that's not you. And make sure you're not one of those people that's had your conscience seared and who's leading people off. Keep a close watch on yourself and what you teach. Are you walking in the light? Are you proclaiming the truth? Paul says, persist in this. If you do that, you're going to save both yourself and your hearers. Now, to be clear, Paul, uh, Timothy doesn't have the power to save himself. That's not the situation. What he's staying true to is the gospel. Does that make sense? Man, you veer off the gospel and it's no longer the gospel, Timothy. And guess what? You don't believe in the gospel. There's no salvation for you. And and if you're not preaching the gospel, there's no salvation for the people you're preaching to. That's what I get out of this. That's what I see this. And I've read some other things. And so the idea here is when the gospel gets perverted, it's no longer the gospel that saves. It's a gospel that calls sinners to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, absolute surrender of your life. And he will give you his life and righteousness through his death and resurrection. But make sure you're living it out, living according to the truth that saves and make sure you're preaching the truth that saves. Amen. So you too. And so as we close, may the Lord's instruction to Timothy be instruction for us that we would be faithful servants of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Now I know there's probably a lot of questions and uh, maybe you disagree with some of the things uh, that Paul said, or that I taught, but I'd love to chat with you guys. If you have questions, don't just walk away mad. Let's talk through stuff. Amen. 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 So let's pray, huh? Father, we want to thank you so much for this instruction that you've given to uh, young Timothy, Lord, and we're all kind of young in some ways in the faith. And so Lord, make us true. Help us to be aware and to just live lives that glorify you deeply. Stir up the giftings in this church, God, among these precious saints that you've saved. Help them to become aware of your grace given to them in Christ Jesus for the edification of the body. Help us to lean into one another, that my weakness might be filled in someone else's strength and the other way around. Let love abound in this place, God. May the world see our love for one another, not only by what we do and say, Lord, but how we do it and the attitude in which we do it and our motives for doing it. So we love you. And so we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.